right, we're talking about the parables of Jesus. There it is. And uh, the parables of Jesus are just amazing, aren't they? I mean, aren't they, like, when you read through the scriptures, especially the New Testament, and Jesus shares a parable, it's always kind of cool because it's like a movie. It's like, it's like watching a movie as you're reading the Bible. It's kind of cool. Uh, they're short movies, uh, but they're movies nonetheless. And uh, they, they paint a picture. They tell a story. They, they put an idea in our mind about a real-life happening that could, could happen. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but could possibly happen. But it's connected to a spiritual truth. So it's, so it's God's way of bringing the truths of heaven to you and to I. A parable, uh, it, means, it means to throw alongside, right? That's um, the meaning that we want you to kind of get as you think about this word parable. So, so there's this spiritual nugget of truth that God wants us to understand, right? We would never get it on our own, and so he throws alongside the parable or the, the, the spiritual truth a story that we can relate to that helps us understand what the spiritual truth is all about. It's his way of bringing um, spiritual truths from the canon of God, from the, the Holy Scriptures to the curb, to us. And uh, all of the parables, are they usually have one particular meaning, but they have other side uh, ideas that come along that make you think. And so in any given parable, there's lots of information, lots of good stuff there. The thing about parables is this, though. There's a lot about parables. I'm going to share a few things about parables as we go today. Is this, is sometimes they take like sudden turns. Like you think you know the end of the story and it just takes some wild turn. This one's going to do that today. Uh, Some shocking turns at times that make you wonder like what in the world just happened? Makes you scratch your head and say that is just not right. What just happened right there? You know, so that's what parables do. They're made to make us think. They're made to make us wonder. Sometimes they leave us hanging. And in today's parable, uh, Jesus uses a celebration to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he tells this parable about, uh, about, um, uh, about a wedding, about a wedding banquet that the king prepares for his son. Now that alone is, is pretty cool, right? Because um, it's, so, it's so spiritual, right? That this king in this story, in our parable today, is, is going to prepare a banquet for his son. Now, if you've been in the church at any length of time, you know what exactly we're getting at here. You know, you know exactly what Jesus is getting at, but he's going to put it in a fleshly way or a physical way that's going to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. And what the king basically says is, let's let the party begin. That's what the king is going to say here in our parable today is, let the party begin. So this, this parable takes a couple crazy turns. They're almost shocking. Uh, and let's get to it. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Go there with me in your Bibles, Matthew 22. We're going to read about this parable. All right. Great story, great event, a great king. The parable of the wedding banquet, uh, Matthew 22. Here we go. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off 
One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets, and they gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was there that was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the, the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow, that's a story, isn't it? That's a parable. Great wedding banquet, and uh, incidentally, this, the word great here is going to truly apply to uh, today's sermon, because we're going to end up having to break this into two sermons. Uh, we'll finish it next week. So, um, because it became so great, it just, it just, there's so much good stuff in this parable, the more I dug into it, the more I studied, the more I thought, this is just so much good stuff. So much good things here. So I hope you have your Bibles open and you're looking at this and you're ready to underline. And what we're going to do today is we're going to, we're going to dig into the parable and do some interpreting here. A little bit of interpretation, but a lot of just observation. Like what is going on in the story? What is Jesus saying? And then, um, and then next week we'll get to some of the application part of this parable. Okay, Verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3, let's look at this again. Verse 1, Jesus spoke to them, it says, again, in parables. So we know that Jesus used parables to tell, to tell lots of kingdom truth, right? He, he used stories, and uh, he told lots of parables, and this is uh, another one of those parables. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Maybe this is sometime later, he began to tell parables again, or he just kept telling one parable after another, um, and, and that was kind of how Jesus taught. And so the prophets said, and this is a, a cool little truth to know, is that the prophets who spoke about the coming Messiah, who told about the Christ that would come one day in the future, said that he would come and he would speak in parables, that he would tell lots of stories in parables. And so Jesus, once again, is just fulfilling what the prophets said the Messiah would be like. Another awesome piece of evidence of who Jesus truly is. Amazing. Verse 2, it says, He spoke to them again in parables, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, so 12 different times Jesus is going to start a parable with the kingdom of heaven. He's going to talk about the kingdom, and he's going to share some amazing truth with us and with the disciples and with the crowd about what the kingdom of God is like. Why is that important to us? Why is it important that we understand what the kingdom of God is like? Well, it's important because we don't have a clue, right? We don't. We've been blinded, we've been deceived, we've wandered, we've gone our own way, and we don't have a clue of what truth really is without the Word of God. Without the Word of God, we are left to just figure it out ourselves. We just make it up as we go, and we'd all make it up differently, wouldn't we? We'd all be different. We'd be chasing after different things. And so what the truth of God does, what Jesus does for us in giving us the word of God and this, the truth about the kingdom of God is he said, this is the way that God has designed us to live from the beginning of time. 
This is how God wants us to think. This is how he wants us to respond. This is how he wants our attitude to be set. And we need the word of God to remind us and to teach us what God has in mind for us. Without that, we're lost. Without the word of God, we're lost. And so Jesus comes to earth and he teaches us about what the kingdom of God is like. That's an amazing thing. And he says this, the kingdom is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. All right, that's pretty easy to get, right? If you're a disciple, you're in the crowd back then, you're standing there, you're sitting there, and you're listening to Jesus talk. He says, the kingdom of God is like a king who prepared this great wedding banquet for his son. You'd be going, okay, I've been to a couple of those. I've been to some, some really royalty-type banquets, weddings. I've been to that. You know, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But you know what they are. You would get this. Verse 3 says, so what he does is this king, he's prepared this wedding banquet for his son, so he sends his servants to those who had been invited to the wedding banquet to tell them to come on. Like, it's, it's time for the wedding banquet to start. So he sends his servants to go out and tell the people to come, right? So, so prior to this, at some point, he sent out these invitations, right? The invites went out months ago, right? Because the wedding banquet was coming in the future. And so at some point in the, prior to this, he sent out invites and you know what that's like. If you've ever had a daughter or son that got married, you know what that's like. There's a huge process of preparing to do a wedding for your kid. I did it four times. We did it four times, and it's a process. I can tell you, it's a process. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure out where you're gonna have the wedding. You gotta figure out where you're gonna have the dinner. You gotta figure out what you're gonna eat. You gotta send out, like, invites months prior to this because you need RSVPs back months prior to this. Uh, and so there's a process, right, of having a wedding and, and getting the word out to people. Uh, when, I, when I work with a couple to do a wedding, I give them a, a checkoff list. It's a cheat sheet for one full year of preparing for their wedding day. A year. That's insane, isn't it? Like a whole year of, of these are the things you need to do 12 months out, 11 months out, 10 months out. And, and, and eventually they have covered everything they need to cover. Now that list is like crazy, like overkill. But they will, when they get to their wedding day, they will know for sure that they have covered every detail they need to. So there's a process in this. And here in our story, it's wedding time. And uh, the king can't send out like some texts. There's no texting, right? Can't, fa- can't put it on Facebook. Hey, the wedding party's about to start. Come on down, y'all. Right? There's no, there's no like intercom system. There's no telephone, phone tree that he can like send out word to everybody that the wedding's about to say. So how, how do you get the word to people that the wedding's about to start? Well, you've got to send out your servants. You send out people. They have to go to the streets, to the cities, to the towns, and they tell people that were invited to the wedding, hey, it's time. The wedding banquet is about to start. Come on, let's go. And so that's what happens. That's what goes on here. And so he sends these servants. You know, in the Bible, uh, lots of different things happen in Scripture, but occasionally we come across words in Scripture or thoughts in Scripture that are not pleasant or not very good. They're sad. They're almost like disappointingly sad. Things like this, like when the Scripture says Jesus wept. Okay, we think about that. 
Jesus wept. That's, that's not good. That's, he's not celebrating at that moment. He's sad, right? He is sad for the people. Like when the scripture says, and they no longer followed him. Like, believe it or not, there are people who said, I'm not following Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that. And they no longer follow Jesus because of things that he taught and things that he said. There, there's times when the scripture says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Those are sad words, right? I mean, those are words that, that aren't good. Or they all, like sheep, have wandered away. Or they were like sheep without a shepherd. These are sad words. Or Judas went up to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek. Or they nailed him to the cross. These are words that are not good words, but the scripture is filled with these statements and these moments where, where what is happening is not good. Like the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they looked upon him in a negative way. Those aren't good words. Or he who is not with me is what? Against me. Those are not pretty words. Those aren't happy words. Or you of little faith, why did you doubt? Or leave them alone, they are blind guides. Or get behind me, Satan. Or a wicked and, and, and a corrupt generation asked for a sign. I mean, there's lots of times we come across in the scripture words that are not very pleasant words. They're disappointing words and they're sad words. And here are five more words in our text that are sad words. It says this in verse 3, the end of the verse, it says, but they refused to come. They refused to come. Those are sad words. Like puzzling words. And this is almost like the first kind of weird turn in the story because what it should say, how it should read is this. And they all came and they all ate and they had the time of their lives celebrating the son's wedding. Right? That's what it should say. But it doesn't. It doesn't say that. The king, he prepared this amazing feast and all the people all the fancy people have been invited right and it says and they they refused to come like who is the, the, the they uh, don't you wonder who the they is like who are these they people well the they if you think about it these are the ones that are part of the family these are people who are in some way connected to the family of the king these are ones who knew the king. They were, they were, in a spiritual sense, these are Abraham's kids. These are descendants of Abraham. You know, remember Father Abraham, many sons? Many sons of Father Abraham? These are the ones, these they are the ones who should know better and should want to come. In fact, this they are the ones who should have been like eagerly anticipating this day. Like they knew the wedding was coming. They knew at some point they were going to get the servants come through and say, hey, the wedding's about to start, let's go. And they should have been like waiting for that moment. Right? Kind of like we are, right? Waiting for that moment. Waiting for that moment when, when Jesus returns. Waiting for that moment when the wedding of the kingdom of God in eternity begins. Like, eagerly waiting, anticipating on the edge of our seat, doing everything we can to bring as many people to the feast as we possibly can. We know better. We're part of the family. But these people, they refuse to come. And these are sad words. 
And sometimes I'm sure you find yourself saying sad words, things that you wish you wouldn't have said. Maybe towards family, maybe towards friends, maybe towards your spouse, maybe towards God. Like words that are just ungrateful words, or rebellious words, or selfish words. Sometimes we speak words that we shouldn't say. Sad words, like they refuse to come. Because they should have wanted to come, right? They should have wanted to be there. They should have been like waiting for the day, like buying the, the outfit that they might want to wear to this, this king, the king of the kingdom is going to have a wedding party, and I've been invited. Don't you think they would want to be there? They should want to be there. Verse 4. So they refuse to come. So the king, what he does is he sends more servants, and he says to them, Tell those that have been invited, so they're going out into the streets and into the byways to tell those that have been invited now that I have prepared my dinner, and now he's going to like tell them the menu. My oxen, the fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. The wedding party is about to start. You know, this king, has, he's not cut any corners, right? This is not piggly wiggly stuff. This is like the good stuff. This is like fresh, homegrown, lean, and tasty meat. This is the good stuff. You ever eaten the good stuff? Like, you know, I don't get to eat the good stuff much, but, you know, we throw a steak on the grill, and, you know, you kind of work your way through it, and it's, it's okay, you know, it's okay. Once in a while, I get to have the good stuff, like in Indianapolis, right? I hope I know knows this place. St. Elmo's. Anybody been to St. Elmo's? Raise your hand if you've been to St. Elmo's. Okay, you guys have. So uh, Peyton Manning had a place uh, that he would go eat at. It's called St. Elmo's in downtown Indianapolis when he played for the Colts. And so they named a room after him, Peyton's room. And if you're lucky enough or you're fortunate enough, you'll have a waiter that will actually take you and show you the room. It's right next to uh, like this huge wine cellar. It's a cool room. Big, long table with a TV at the end of the table on the wall so they can, he can watch Eli get beat up. That's what, that's what, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. That was a giant crack. Um, anyhow, so, so St. Elmo's, we went in there, and uh, Trish and I was our anniversary, and um, so we ordered the steak, of course, and, and that steak was so expensive. <laughs> I, I mean, $100 a plate or something like that. It was insane. We never have ever had a meal that we paid that much money for in our lives. But it was so good. I mean, it was this big bone with this hunk of meat. And the shrimp, the shrimp were like as big as my hand. And the, the sauce that they put on it, you don't want a lot because it'll burn the fire out of your mouth. But it was so good. That's, it was the best. And, and that's, that's the meal that this king has prepared. And these people, these people ignore it. So everything is ready, and the word goes out, come to the banquet, and now it's the second plea, right? This is like the second set of servants that are going out to these people to tell them, it's ready, let's go, come on. It's like, it's like, Here's the menu. If, if just coming to the king's palace and eating with the king isn't enough, here's what we're having. Like, here's what we're eating. If that doesn't do it, I, I'm not sure what will. But this is the second chance. Like, right? That's what we all want. 
It's what we all get. We don't deserve it, but we get a second chance. And this is their second chance to come to the banquet. To the banquet. And the king has to be wondering, like, why don't they want to come? Like, are they mad at me for some reason? Is it my deodorant? Like, what did I do? They're supposed to be like my friends and my family. And verse 5 says, but they paid no attention to the second set of servants. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business. So get this, they made excuses. They made excuses why they couldn't come to the king's palace for this awesome, amazing banquet for his son's wedding. They began to make excuses. They made what it, what it means there is they made light of the invitation. And even deeper than that is they were careless with the information. They paid no attention to it. Like it didn't matter. They did not take it seriously. Wow. You know anybody like that? You know anybody that you try to share Christ with? They just blow you off. That's, that's what's going on here. They just didn't take it seriously enough. They didn't think it was any big deal. We don't have to go. Luke, Luke shares a, a very similar parallel passage. If you want to flip over to Luke chapter 14. And probably this is going to be as far as we're going to get today. But Luke shares a very similar parable. It's actually the same kind of parable. It's just not as much detail. And we don't know if this is the exact same like uh, Luke just telling what, what Matthew uh, told, or Jesus actually said this a second time, and Luke recorded it in, his own, in this way, and Jesus just said it differently. Uh, we don't know. But as, um, as you read in Luke 14, if you see verse 15 right there, is the beginning of the story, and we're going to kind of dig into this chapter a little bit because there's some things we have to explore here. So look what it says in verse 15 of Luke 14. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now that right there is amazing, right? That's good. That's right. He's, whatever was said, whatever's going on, this guy understands that if you're, if you're one of those who's, who's, at the, the, who's at that feast in the kingdom of heaven, you are blessed, right? We'd all say amen, right? Amen to that. But if you just read that verse like we just did, you have to wonder, like, like who, who are the, who's this person at the table? What's going on here? So we have to back up. Okay, we've got to go back to chapter 14 right there, verse 1. And we've got to get a running start into Luke 14 to get an understanding of what's happening in Matthew 22. Okay, so here we go. One Sabbath, verse 1, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So just let's stop there for one minute because there's a key here and the two keys are this. There's two keys. One is this. It's the Sabbath day, right? And Jesus goes into a prominent Pharisee's home and the second key is this. He's being carefully watched, right? And that's no surprise, right? Jesus is always being carefully watched. They watched him like hound dogs. They wanted to see if he would do anything to slip up, Right? That's what people do when they don't like you. <laughs> they look for a reason to not like you more. They look for a reason to, 
to, to get after you or to, to put you down. That's what they do. And that's what's happening here. But here's the cool thing about this. It's a Sabbath day, and they're watching him closely, and that usually means that usually means that Jesus is about to do something that's going to blow their minds. Right? He's going to do something, or he's going to say something that's going to get him in a bunch of hot water. And I love that. I just love that. I don't know about you, but I love that. I love that, that Jesus is just not conforming to what they think and how they used to do it and how they've always done it. Jesus is here to set it straight. He's here to show us this is the way of the kingdom, not what you think the way of the kingdom is or what I think the way of the kingdom is or what they think the way of the kingdom is because they were way off. And so Jesus is about to get in hot water, and he doesn't disappoint us here in this, in this section. So look at verse 2. He's basically going to say, let's let the party begin, right? Here's, here we go, verse 2. So they're in front of Jesus. Remember, it's a Sabbath. They're watching him closely. He's in the house of a Pharisee, a prominent one. And there in front of him, for some reason, is this man who's suffering from dropsy. So Jesus asks the Pharisees, and I love this, the, and the experts in the law, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now all this passage is going to help us with the other passage, so work with me here. And he asks them that question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Those are some more uh, sad words right there. But they remained silent. So, Jesus taking hold of the man, he healed him, and he sent him off on his way. Like, take that, right? Like, like, there you go. There's your answer. You want to be silent? I'm going to show you what the answer is. And then he asked them, he asked them, if one of you, Pharisees, teacher of the law, you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And again, they say nothing. Silence. More silence. See, that's what the truth does, right? That's what the truth does. It just silences people. They got nothing to say. They're speechless. Verse 7, when he noticed, kind of changed subjects here, when he noticed how the guests that came into this prominent Pharisee's home picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. All this fits into a wedding. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, and if so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this man your seat, and then humiliated, you will have to take a least important seat. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his hosts, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, and the crippled, and the lame, 
and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now that's good stuff, right? I mean, that's just good stuff to live by right there. Humility, being humble, right? Leaders go last. It's an attitude that just says, being like Jesus means being the servant of all. It's basically what it says. It doesn't say it doesn't mean that I'm going to exalt myself to the highest place because that's where he is, but I'm going to be like Jesus as a servant. That's what it means. That's what he says. And then he goes into our parable, which is amazing. So when one of those at the table, so now we got the picture, right? They're at the table. He's talking about these different things. And when one of those seated at the table heard him say all this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So apparently this guy is kind of getting something. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited uh, many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. The owner, then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town and bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, the blind and the lame. And verse 22 says, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Wow, that's some intense stuff. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. And they begin to make excuses. And Luke shares this version of this story in a way that is just adds to the story of what Matthew had said or to the parable that Jesus told in Matthew. And, and the summary of this all is this, I think, is that the king just wants one thing. I mean, he wants several things, but mainly what he wants is that his house would be full with people celebrating his son's wedding. You know, that's what he, that's what he wants more than anything, is that his son, the king, and we're going to end right here with this, Jules, the king's son is, is going to have a wedding banquet. He's getting married. And all that the king really wants is that the, the house would be full of guests who appreciate the king and the son. What the, what the king wants is not just for his son's wedding party to be celebratory and awesome, but I think what the king is looking for is the bride. In the story, there's one bride and there's one son, but in the kingdom of heaven, I think what the king wants more than anything is for the bride to show up. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we're grateful, God, for your word. We're grateful that your truth, that these stories, these parables on the surface, seems so normal. 
but in the spirit have power to penetrate. And I pray, God, that as we dig into this, as next week we continue to dig into this, you would just penetrate our hearts. That you'd open our eyes, God, to you, to your word, to your truth, to what you have for us and what you want for us. And that we would show up. For all that you've done for us, God, that we would show up. That the words that would define us wouldn't be we paid no attention or we began to make excuses. But the words that would define us would be we were eagerly anticipating the day. Father, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts in ways that I could never in ways that only your Holy Spirit could. And God, move in us today. Move in us today. Help us, Father, to to get ourselves in line with who you are and bring as many people to this banquet, this wedding feast that we can. We love you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.